So we're so thankful you guys joined us here for our Wednesday night service. I remember preaching around this time last year when the Dodgers lost in the World Series and there was a lot less people, so now it's nice to... <laughs> I know. But I'm so thankful that you're here. It's a, a beautiful evening. I want to give praise where praise is due. Thank you to our setup team, all the people setting out the coffee and the treats. Give them a hand, guys. Give a hand to the K's, the powerful worship. And then I am honored and blessed to be able to be a part of this high school ministry. And that was one of our high schoolers, Emily, give communion. So give her praise. That was amazing. You know, as I was listening to the worship and seeing how the movement is of the church, I feel like there's a shift going on. I feel like a lot of us are stepping more out in, in power. A lot of us are stepping out in our gifts. And it's exciting to see when we're hearing this worship or hearing these other people speak, we're, we're equipping the next group of people to go out there and change this world. So I think there's a movement going on. Thank you guys for all being a, a part of that. It's really exciting to see. But we are continuing on our study on the book of Romans, one of my favorite books in the Bible, one of the most hard-hitting and direct books at the same time. And tonight's an interesting chunk of scripture because, I don't know, if you're, if you're like myself, I talk to myself quite a bit. Does anyone else talk to themselves? Yeah. And I have a great conversation I mean, I bring up a lot of great points. I love the audience. I'm a great listener. But why would I bring up something of how much I like myself? I'm going to, it shouldn't be up here. That's just <laughs> but uh, it's interesting because this is the way that Paul is going to be conducting this chunk of scripture. He's actually up around some people and he is speaking facts into their life and in their walk, but he's the one doing all the talking. He is having a back and forth with himself because he's beginning to anticipate what other people are going to say and what they've been thinking. So as I get a message ready, I normally read through the text. I'll circle some questions or some ideas, some that stick out to me very plainly, some that I have a lot of questions about. I'll kind of go back and forth with myself to say, what does it mean from this? Like, I understand this part. Why is he bringing this out to me? I need to understand a little bit more. I'm able to see the whole picture from what the text is because I'm trying to see it from all different sides. That's what Paul is going to be doing in chapter 3 as we start off tonight. This is a question and answer session with Paul and Paul. He's ra raising questions and ideas based off his audience. He's known these types of people and this grouping so well that he's anticipating what they're going to say. He has a rebuttal for almost everything he asks, and it always points back and showcases how great God is in the process. If we get anything out of the message tonight, I want you to walk away knowing how great God is. That's right. Amen. That's why we even sing about it. God syncs it all up. So he is great and he deserves all this praise. So if we walk out of this room later on, all I want you to say is how great God is. So if you guys are able to stand, please stand as we honor the word of God. We are in Romans chapter 3. 
And we're going to be reading verses 1 and 2. As always, if you need a Bible, they're stacked back there. We want you to take the Bibles. They're yours. Put your name in it. We just want a Bible in your hands. If not, they're on my left and right. In verses 1 and 2, it says, Then, what's the advantage of being a Jew? Is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? Yes, there are great benefits. First of all, the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. Let's pray. God, we come before you hungry to learn more about your word. May something stick out to us that we've never noticed before, that Paul's words just resonate in our souls, that we're able to see where he's coming from on each point of view. Lord, we don't know it all. We look to you for answers. We look to you to to build us into a better person. So we lift this evening up to you, and we're so thankful that you're in our lives. It's your name we pray. Amen. So as we start off with our text, you guys had a great sermon last week, and it kind of ties into what we're going with this week. So this whole beginning part, I'm going to try to go back and forth. I'm going to try to tie it back in together. But in Romans chapter 3, verse 1, it says, then, what's the advantage of being a Jew? See, Paul starts off our text tonight with an important word, then. I'm really going to break this down. Then is implying that he is going back to what he already said. He's trying to push everyone back to what they heard so he can bring it up again. So it's in a response of what it's something he previously said. He says, then what's the advantage of being a Jew? In other words, what good is it for me to be a Jew if this didn't guarantee me something in the end? What's the point of me going through all this testing and laws if I don't get something out of it? What's the advantage of being a Jew? And he's addressing all these questions that may have come forward from last week's talking, but of course, and then it was just a matter of moments after he was done speaking from chapters 2, verses 17 through 24. Paul was calling out his audience for not living a life as a reflection of God. All they did was walk around with a bunch of laws, condemning everyone along the way. They would walk around, and I could just imagine them, Dustin paraphrase, you suck, you're doing it wrong, you're dumb, obviously you don't get it. This is what they did, walking around with more of a high self-esteem than others. They thought they knew the law, yet they were not obeying the laws themselves. Paul makes sure to bring this up over and over again because he's all too familiar with thinking of someone that knows the laws when he's totally off base. And Paul returns to the ever-painful subject of circumcision. Something he also stated last time as well. He says, is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? And Paul stated before that circumcision does not save the Jews. He's made it clear that it's only a symbol. Circumcision is simply cutting of the human body, but does nothing to the soul. It is merely an outward symbol. 
He says, a man is not a Jew for our terms of man and woman is, I'm going to use believer. So this, this goes back to our age too. I want to make sure we're bringing this application to us as well. So it's not just talking about a Jew. I want us to put the term believer. He says, a man is not a Jew or a believer who is only one outwardly. In God's sight, a Jew is one who has faith, who has the presence of God in their hearts, and who inwardly is showing a reflection of Jesus Christ in his life. This sounds like something that we need to embody at the same time. It is an inward deal, not an outward expression as we walk our walk. If we want to show a reflection of who God is and how much we trust him, it's showing them how much we believe on the inside is a true judge of our character. That is what constitutes a Jew. That's what constitutes a believer and nothing else. All these other distinctions and reasons and circumcisions are now cut out. Play that joke back on Facebook because that was really good. <laughs> But we're getting back to this time. We're able to see all these different things. He's asking, what is the advantage of being a Jew? And so I want to make this personal for us right now before we lose this topic. This is your first table talk. I simply want you to go around and I want you to list some of the advantages of being a believer. It's very simple, very broad. But in your own words, what are some advantages of being a believer here on earth? Go ahead, introduce yourselves to the people around the table, start bringing it up, and start talking about these advantages. See, back then there was a lot of advantages to being a Jew. For us, there's a lot of advantages of being a believer. But to a lot of advantages, there's also a lot of responsibility. It's not the knowledge or possession of the law that makes us something. It is not the right of circumcision light is brought up time and time again. It is not just the claiming of a special relationship with God. The only thing that makes us something special in the kingdom is our belief in Jesus Christ. We can look like Jesus himself walking around, acting like these good outward expressions, saying such great things, acting better than now. But if we were to stop, stop right in front of an x-ray machine, you could see our insides just deteriorating from all the nonsense inside. What matters is what's going on inside to make sure what's going on the outside. So they said this is a back and forth moment with Paul and Paul. And Paul's an intelligent man, so he gets ready. As you see in verse 1, he's getting ready to start going forward. And I'm going to continue on this sermon with a, an image so we can kind of get an idea of two different voices. So, Paul imagines someone in the crowd and he's, he's speaking these things. You can just imagine like a Jewish rabbi standing up in his mind, or in this case, some dude. <laughs> and I can imagine this dude start to come forward. And say, wait a minute, these things you say don't count are the very things that God himself has given us. Circumcision came from God. God asked it of the Jews way in the beginning with Abraham. And the law was given by God to the Jews. It was God who called them 
to be his chosen people. So I imagine this argument getting deeper. Paul, you're setting aside what God has established. If these things don't count, then what is the advantage of being a Jew? Let's reread 1 through 2 and dive a little bit deeper into it. So we look back at the text. Then what's the advantage of being a Jew? Is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? And then Paul steps up. Yes. There are great benefits. First of all, the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. This is an important part. That's why Paul starts us off in such an enthusiastic way. He says, well, first, there's a lot of great glories in being a Jew. You were the ones that were entrusted with the law. They physically possessed the word of God in their hands. They were the ones that were able to go and see Jesus when he comes straight down. They were on the race to go find him. These people had everything at their fingertips. Paul says that's a tremendous advantage. Now for us, it's a little bit different. Now the word is everywhere. And we're so blessed with the Holy Spirit working around us. So even the most remote places, people are able to experience God and his holiness. I believe that through that, we're able to see good and evil. We're able to see these different sides of things. I believe everyone has a moral standard. That our conscience lays hold of a law written on our heart to tell people what they're doing is right and wrong. The light has been given to everyone in this situation. We now know what's good and bad in our hearts. If we go back to the gospel that we just studied previously in John, it says the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Nobody lives in darkness. But even though everyone has that light, the Jews had an added degree of light at their fingertips. They were given the written word on stone so it was permanently preserved at any moment they could go and they could reference it. They could say, oh, this is exactly what God meant. They had a knowledge of the mind and will of character that no one else possessed at the same time. They had a great opportunity to know and obey God more than anyone else in that day. That's the advantage that Paul is talking about. Which, to put it plainly to the text, if Paul is saying this, then that stinks for them because they had this advantage and they did absolutely nothing with it. They were no better off if they had never known the law at all because they did not put it to its intended use. This parallels the situation in our day. We have billions of people who have been raised in Sunday school and church. We have billions of people that know the scriptures. They have read the Bible from cover to cover multiple times. We live in a land where Bibles are available by the dozens in any translation you can ever imagine. The mind of God is available, yet millions of people are no better than they had never heard of the Bible at all. It's like these people were dropped on a deserted island 
I did absolutely nothing to help anyone out. And I have a pretty wild imagination, so I want you guys to, to picture something with me. You can close your eyes if that paints a picture better. But I like this whole island theme that I was thinking about. Just imagine an island in darkness where a bunch of people were dropped off. And they have to get from one island to another, but it's just in constant darkness. The only way that they can get across is from this bridge. A bridge that goes from one island to the other that spans this nasty-looking cliff. Something so treacherous that you're afraid to kind of go around without a light. So this group of people on this very dark island was given a little pen light. A tiny little light, looks like a pen. All you can really do is use that to illuminate just a tiny bit in front of you. To keep you out of the, this huge pit that may pop up. But it doesn't show anything further than what's right in front of your nose. But a certain group of people on the other end of the island were giving these huge spotlights that are enabled to look miles down the road. Such a powerful searchlight that can shine into the darkness. And it's given to them so they can not only find their way out, but they can find the way out for others. Yet these people who have so much more light than all the other people with the little pen light. Instead, put the light only down at their feet or point it right back at them. So all they're illuminating is themselves and what's best for them, forgetting about everyone else. That, in essence, is what the Jews were doing at this very time. Keeping everything to themselves and not trying to connect with anyone else. So this is going to be our second table talk. Do you feel as if you have cast a spotlight for others to follow God on a more personal level? Or is that something that you need to work on? The thing with God is that there's always room for growth. We're always able to, if we're not happy where we're at, admit it and just be like, all right, this is something I want to work at. I want my spotlight to, to reach a larger audience. So go ahead, be honest with each other, start talking about it, and check how your spotlight is. See, we're able to talk about our spotlight because it's, it's showing what we're projecting out into this world. Yes, there are a lot of advantages, like we're talking about in the text, of being a believer. But just the application of being part of a church denomination, or simply going to a Bible teaching church, does not automatically get you saved. However, the exposure to the truth does give you a great advantage, because you now know what is required to be saved. You now know what is required to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You are now responsible ourselves to act upon the truth and believe in the gospel and to believe who God is and the power that he holds. You have the advantage of all advantages because the truth has been made known to you. 
Now, though the Jews had a tremendous advantage in having a law, Paul says they failed to use it properly. So the imaginary rabbi comes back with a second objection to Paul. In verse 3 of chapter 3 in Romans, he says, True, some of them were unfaithful, but just because they were unfaithful, does that mean that God will be unfaithful? The argument is, Paul, you're suggesting that if some of the Jews were unfaithful, that God could forget his promise to all the Jews. Are you saying that just because some of us didn't measure up to what God required in the law, everyone in Israel has lost the promise that God gave them? You seem to suggest that God is not interested in the very rituals that he himself instituted long ago. Are you saying that circumcision and all these things mean nothing to God? Are you saying that God is upset by the disbelief that we have moving forward? And Paul answers with some of the strongest verbiage that you can use in the Bible. Paul says in verse 4, Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. As the scriptures say about him, you will be proved right in what you say. And you will win your case in court. He says that of course not. Other translations say, by no means, not at all, absolutely not. This is how he wants it to be known. Other translations even say, God forbid. He wants them to know how wrong this is, because that would suggest that God is a failure in this situation. It suggests that God gave a promise and did not keep his word just because a few people failed to measure up to the standards. That would put God at fault. It's our human heart that tends to blame God for what goes wrong in our lives, the sin that we bring into our own lives. Just because we are unfaithful does not mean that God is unfaithful. Just because we mess up doesn't mean we always get to pawn it off on the God. And Paul does a great job. He brings in a psalm that David wrote to further bring in what he's trying to talk about. And it's the 51st Psalm in verse 4. A psalm that was written by David who was fresh off to sending his friend in the battle to die. And someone that just had committed adultery. Sin was fresh in his life. And he writes, Against you and you alone I have sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say and your judgment against me is just. See, David wrote this because he knew that he was the one at fault. That God didn't move anywhere. God remained true and just in his life, but he decided to bring sin in his own life. And instead of casting and saying, well, God, why did, why did you do this to me? He said, I, I need to take on responsibilities for the sin that I've just brought in my life. I have sinned, I have done what is evil in your sight. He knows that God has kept his word this whole time. And he writes this because he knows God will fulfill all his promises to the Jews of this time. Nothing can stop how faithful God is. Nothing will stop how faithful he is to his covenant promises. 
God is true and just and perfect. It doesn't matter what man says in this situation. All that matters is what God says. If we live our Christian lives, we must resist being squeezed in the mindset of the world. We must remember that even if the entire world is saying that this is right and it's not, we have to be ready to stand in front of God and say, I went with the rest of the world. God speaks truth in his word. And the amazing thing is God is always loving and forgiving. In verse 5, Paul number 2 steps up again. It says, but some might say our sinfulness serves a good purpose, for it helps people see how righteous God is. Isn't it unfair then for him to punish us? This is merely a human point of view. See, Paul understands human nature and knows that people will think that he's arguing against the righteousness of God in the situation. So he states, if our sinfulness, meaning the sin and unbelief of the Jewish people, is for the purpose of showing the glory of righteousness of God, then, then what's wrong with that? If our sin brings glory to God, now why not just sin more? That's pretty much the argument moving forward. You're like, good idea, I sin. That, looks, that makes God look good. I'm just, give me a double portion. That's not what it all is. And of course, Paul doesn't stand for that whatsoever. So he goes into verse 6, dropping a hammer again with his appeals of, of course not. If God were not entirely fair, how would he be qualified to judge the world? Of course not. No way. God forbid. Paul explains why this is a wrong conclusion to come to in this text. If the unrighteousness of man enhances the righteousness of God, then God could never judge sin justly. God is righteous in his judgment of sinners. This includes the Jews. As I've said over and over again, God is faithful, God is fair, God is true, and God is perfect. As we finish off our, our verses tonight, Verses 7 and 8. It says, But someone might still argue, How can God condemn me as a sinner if my dishonesty highlights his truthfulness and brings him more glory? And some people even slander us by claiming that we say, The more we sin, the better it is. Those who say such things deserve to be condemned. Our scripture finishes off with the grumblings about Paul's teaching. Because you know what I don't like is being called out when I'm wrong. I get kind of defensive. I get a little irritated. I'll probably even start saying some things about the other person because I want to see like I'm in the right and he's in the wrong. So they began to grumble over his teachings and distance himself from whatever Paul is saying because they want to be on the right side. More and more, they would start to murmur about what Paul was trying to say. And I love what he says. Because Paul doesn't even want to waste a, a long-winded expression after imagining what they would say. He answers so abruptly, he just doesn't want to hear it. Now see, if I've had a chance in my career, I know you guys have been in this situation too, where I've been in a leadership role 
And if someone has done wrong and they have to come report back to me, and they give some of the lamest excuses you could ever imagine. It's like you're just listening to what they're trying to say, and you know they're just caught in a lie, and you're just like, really? This is what you're coming at me with? I imagine that's what Paul is having to face. He doesn't even want to hear it. So he just says, those who say such things deserve to be condemned. And Mike drops and goes away from that. Paul has nothing more to say other than to turn it over to God and let God deal with it. Paul's job is to, to come forward to show people what he has learned through this whole way. That Paul has learned that you can be wrong in the world and move past it and do so much right. Paul is not doing this to try to showcase how far off they are and just leave them in that pit of destruction. Paul is saying this so that they can apply it to their lives and change it for the better. These verses are, are showing of how just and, and rightful God is. That he never wavers. He never changes. It's us that gets in the way. But when I read these verses and I see that I can come forward from some of the wrongs that I've done and know that God can use it for the better, that my spotlight can grow no matter where I've come from, that we have such advantages of knowing so many great things in our lives, that it gives me a lot of hope. So that's what we need to do in our walk. As we tie it all back, we have to be a reflection of what God has done in us. That the sin does not define us. That knowing things, we can't just stop with all the knowledge that we can have and sit back and say, I'm good. It is now meant for good. We must walk forward. That's why I'm saying there's a movement going on. There's power behind these words because you guys are living it out. You guys are now stepping in boldness. You are practicing what you're preaching and that's exciting to see. This is what God is all about. God wants us to do these amazing things, and it's our just job to point everything back to him and say how great our God is. So we walk out these doors tonight knowing that he is perfect, he is just, that he is our God, he doesn't change, and he's equipping us for so much more. Let's pray. God, we thank you for these tough scriptures where we're able to, to see so many different viewpoints. The way we'll see each side of the spectrum of, of where we're supposed to be on our own walk. Some people have grown up in the word. Some people are, are fresh believers. But Lord, we all have the same goal. And that's just to honor you and to bring more people to you and just bring glory to your name. So I ask you to expand our, our spotlight, our searchlight. Let us just be illuminating so other people can experience your goodness, that we don't keep it to ourselves, that we walk forward in the boldness you've put in our hearts. God, we're thankful for every breath and moment you've given us in this lifetime. So we lift this up to you and ask for so much more as we move forward, because, Lord, we're ready to harvest. We move forward in you. It's your name we pray. Amen.